The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, February 20th, the Trampled on the Playground edition. I'm Jimmy Lillamue, a writer, contributor to Slate's Karen Feeding Parenting column, a cultural critic, and mom to Naima, who is six, and we reside in Los Angeles, California. But I'm coming to you from the Slate offices in Brooklyn, New York. The Welcome place back to that Brooklyn, has my heart. Thank you. <laughs> I'm Dan Kois. I'm a writer at Slate. I'm the author of the book How to Be a Family. I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 14, and Harper, who's 12, and we live in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm a mom to three boys, Henry, seven, Oliver, five, and Teddy, three. My husband's in the Air Force, so we're currently calling Navarre, Florida home. Thank you for joining us again, Elizabeth. I'm so excited to be back. Today on the show, we have not one, not two, but three listener questions. The first from a mom who's fed up with playground politics. Is it okay to tell off older kids when they trample her three-year-old? And we have a question from a listener whose mother is enthused about potentially becoming a grandmother, but due to her mother's past, this mom-to-be wants to keep a healthy distance without alienating her. Finally, we have a rapid-fire question from a mother wondering if it's all right to keep a generous amount of money, which will help make education much more affordable. Hmm. Plus, as always, we have triumphs and fails and recommendations. Dan, do you have a triumph or a fail for us this week? I have a fail. It's very simple, very elegant, just a perfect roast from my daughter. This weekend, Harper, who's been sick all weekend, like legitimately sick with the flu, got the fever, got the cough, the whole thing. Mm. She, at one point, we were playing cards and she announced that she was going to do an impression of me. And she said, oh, daddy, this is the face you make when you know you're supposed to be concerned about something I'm saying, but you really just want to be left alone. (laughs) And then she made the exact face that I didn't even realize I make in those exact moments. So I have been completely destroyed by my 12-year-old. She sees through me uh, even when I think that she can't see through me. So (laughs) That's a a hard one. It was harsh. Yikes. It was incredibly harsh. I was like, wow, Harper. She she laughed like, oh, that's just my dad. (laughs) Well, you know it comes from a place of love. I have made a resolution based on this fail. I have resolved, of course, in the future to come up with a different face that I can make (laughs) when she's saying some bullshit that I don't care about and I just want to be left alone. (laughs) Oh, damn. How about you guys? Uh, Elizabeth? So we've had just like a completely crazy few weeks. So right after I was on the podcast with you guys a few weeks ago, I got in the car and my husband called and told me that deployment orders were coming down for a six-month deployment overseas, and just, like, chaos followed. Uh, (laughs) Because I sort of joke that we're codependent, but there's a lot of stuff that we do together that all of a sudden was just, like, I needed to take over, and I was trying to kind of make everything easier for him, take stuff off his plate, because a six-month deployment is actually, I joke, more like eight months because he was scheduled to deploy with another branch, and so... There's like additional training and all this. So it was sort of like, okay, this is happening next Monday. I'm leaving. It's like, okay. Jesus <laughs> so Christ. just what? getting, yes. And luckily we have so many friends here that stepped up to help. And then each training kind of would get pushed or be available here. So it came down to basically on this Friday, this last past Friday, he was supposed to leave. And on Thursday night, he came home and said, the deployment has been turned off. And so, yes, just like sigh of relief. Now, my husband is like a PhD nerdy guy. He does like a academic uh, flight test. We've done a few deployments. So this is definitely like military life. We're prepared for this. But it's just when it comes up, it's, you know, in your turn, it's just kind of complete upheaval. But anyway, so then we had this four-day weekend because Friday is what they call a family day. We were getting that off, but he was going to leave for training, so I hadn't planned anything. Mm-hmm. And my amazing neighbor said, um, do you want to come with us to the Mardi Gras parade in Mobile, which is actually the like oldest carnival celebration in the United States? And it's supposed to be really family friendly. I was like, yes, we love to travel. We love to go do things. So she had planned this whole day. I had done nothing. I literally, she texted me where to meet. It was like a playground and then a fish house. And then we were going to this parade. So I had planned nothing, look into nothing. We all piled the three kids, Jeff, 
myself into the car. We, you know, go. We had like the best time. (laughs) It was totally insane. Jeff got hit in the face by flying ramen noodles, which they throw out from these parades. (laughs) There were like moon pies left and right. My three-year-old would like cry every time what he got thrown at him was not what he wished for from this float. But the seven-year-old caught like an enormous stuffed teddy bear. I mean, it was just like crazy. Everyone had a great time. Since we've gotten home, the three-year-old has come up with a game called Mardi Gras in which he climbs onto the counter with as many things as he can and screams, happy Mardi Gras, and then just throws everything. Oh. And I, I'm sure I'll regret it later, but it feels like this wonderful like celebration that our family is getting to be together after kind of this complete upheaval. And the idea that we could like go on an outing and like there were some tears again, A lot of people got hit in the face by things. But other than that, (laughs) there were no tears about, like, anyone being upset about anything. Everyone had a great time. We got home. The kids were like, when can we do this again? So I'm counting kind of the whole past few weeks as just a giant win. I mean, like an enormous problem turned into, by the grace of who knows what, like... Great win. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm definitely, you know, Carnival is like the prepping for Lent. So I'm definitely going to owe something during Lent, some some major giving up of things. But um, overall, yeah, I mean, we are just we're so thrilled to be together. And the, the nice thing about something like this is it really does make you realize, yeah, everyone gets on my nerves and every day is not perfect in our house, but we would rather all be together. Well, I'm really glad that you all got some additional time together and that your little one has discovered Mardi Gras. And you can celebrate it at will in your house. Yes, he has filled the bathtub with the thousands of Mardi Gras beads and likes to just lay in them, which is disgusting, but also funny. (laughs) How long before he's making his brothers lift up their shirts to get those beads? That's the question. (laughs) Luckily, that is is not a part of the mobile uh, (laughs) Mardi Gras. Now, we did take the kids to Mardi Gras in New Orleans last year, and they did see some of that. So they're going to put it all together eventually. They're going to put it all together. Oh my God, Elizabeth! I'm so glad Jeff did not get deployed. Thank you. I know it. It. I know. (laughs) Jamila, how about you? Well, I actually have a triumph this week. I feel like it's been a while. Very happy about it. Last week was Valentine's Day. And I decided, like, for Naima's class, they did, like, a traditional, you know, you could bring, like, I guess, candy and cards to pass out. So got cards for all the kids. Instead of just buying a bag or two of candy, I got, like, some pretzels and some Cheez-Its and some Twix and, like, made little goodie bags. So that way, if somebody didn't bring any, everybody would have, you know, a substantial amount of goodies. And when I was going through the class list, she signed every card, but I wrote the kids' names on the front so it'd be legible. And also because we did not have all night for 24 <laughs> um, editions of Naima attempting to write one of her friend's names. And when I got to her name, I was like, oh, I'll just sneak her card in here because I had gotten her card. And the night before Valentine's Day, I took a red eye to New York. So I dropped her and her Valentine's and all that stuff off with her dad. And so I ended up sneaking the card in and it was just, you know, a, a Valentine's Day card, but I wrote her a super sweet lovey message and I love you so much. You're the best baby in the world and all that stuff. And she wasn't embarrassed by it. She was really excited and happy to see it. So I felt good. That's that a, great, a great one. Yes, that's so good. Thank you. Valentine's Day, it's a holiday that parents can take a lot less seriously than their kids thought they would and just really bum them out. Mm-hmm. And so I view any moment where your kid feels like, oh, my my parents nailed Valentine's Day as like a, a huge win. It's a holiday that I naturally have been inclined to kind of ignore unless I'm in a romantic relationship, you know? But then I thought about the fact that my mother always got me a Valentine and I feel bad I actually bought her one, but I didn't put it in the mail in time. It's in my vast card collection, like all the Mother's Day cards (laughs) for various people I've never sent and the anniversary card for the couple that's divorced now. But I'm going to make sure she gets that card next year. But my mom always did that stuff for me. So I'm happy to do it for Naima. So yay, a triumph for Jamila. It's been a long time, a very long time. That's a great triumph. I think it's very big, you know. Thank you. 
All right. So before we move on, let's handle some business. Slate's parenting newsletter is the best place to be notified about all of our parenting content, including, of course, mom and dad are fighting, care and feeding, and much more. It is also a personal email from Dan Qua every single week. All you have to do to get it is sign up at slates.com backslash parenting email. Also, don't forget to check us out on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting. It's a very fun, well-moderated community that doesn't often get out of control. And if it does, somebody will put you out. And of course, there's always Slate Plus. Today, we're going to be talking about the ongoing lack of gender equity in household chores and division of labor. Here's a quick sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. Can we just acknowledge that Dan complained about how bad the article was only to say, like, essentially, it was right about me. <laughs> well, he doesn't I don't like know the methodology. Right yeah. I just have no idea. <laughs> like, well, A, I think that the fact that I can't actually correctly estimate how much I do compared to what my wife does mm-hmm. suggests that, in fact, this methodology for the study was fucked because, like, I'm paying attention And I still am wrong about all this shit. So, like, I just think that's the wrong question to ask. And also, I still maintain that I do, for example, way more around the house than my dad did. To hear more segments like that and to get ad-free versions of your favorite Slate podcast, sign up for Slate Plus, our membership program, which is a great way to support us. And it only costs $35 for your first year. It helps to cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and your other favorite Slate shows. And of course, in return, you'll get extended ad-free versions of this show and other great Slate shows, plus a ton of other cool benefits. So if you'd like to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, please go to slate.com backslash mom and dad plus and join slate plus today nickelodeon's got your preschoolers covered from sunrise to bedtime with four brand new podcasts grab their backpack and go on a culinary quest with dora's recipe for adventure make game time great time with let's guess who with josh and blue and tuck in for adventure with Nickelodeon's Goodnight Bedtime Stories. Plus, we've got a brand new season of Storytime with Josh and Blue. Search Nickelodeon on your favorite podcast app to listen. All right, so let's get started with our first listener question for the week. And it's being read by the one and only Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad, what do you do when kids are assholes at the playground? When the weather is nice, we love taking family outings to the park. Our 11th month old typically stays in the stroller and the three-year-old runs around and plays. Lately, we have found that there are more and more big kids on the playground. I'm talking kids who are 9 to 13 years old, climbing up on the slides or on top of the slides and jumping off the play structures on the ground or into the sandboxes. Even though we stay close by our three-year-old, she inevitably gets trampled or purposefully shoved by these big kids, resulting in a lot of tears and the occasional band-aid. These kids will even run right into the stroller or grab at the baby, pulling her legs and or yelling in her face before running off. Most of the time, the parents are nowhere to be found. Sometimes the parent says, oh, sorry, or Johnny, be careful, before going back to their phone. We have been working hard with our daughter on turn-taking and sharing, so there are times where she waits patiently for her turn on the slide, or for the swings, her favorite, only to be pushed out of the way by another kid who was not waiting. My husband and I have spoken up to these children and let them know our daughter was waiting, but they just laugh or respond, Well, it's my turn now. Am I being a helicopter parent by wanting to protect my kids from these playground bullies? Is this a kids-will-be-kids situation we should let go and just console our crying daughter when she didn't get a turn after waiting patiently? Do we just have to stop going to playgrounds? I am very non-confrontational, so I tend to shy away from grabbing the kid by the shirt and dragging him around the park looking for his parent, drop-kicking him out of the playground, or telling him straight up to stop being an asshole. So what do I do? Help. Thanks. Pissed Park Mom. Pissed Park Mom, I'm pissed too, because I can't say I've observed too many instances of a three-year-old getting bullied by nine to 13-year-olds. This is not okay. Dan, what do you have to say? I mean, the first and maybe simplest question is, can you just go to a different playground? Like, my hunch is that 
three months from now, those big kids will not be at your playground anymore. They'll have found something better to do, like smoking or or being on the internet like proper teenagers. But barring that, uh, I do agree that this is frustrating, but I would like to divide your problem into two separate complaints. Your first complaint is that the kids are too wild with their bodies and are endangering other kids, not only yours. They're getting trampled, kicked, shoved. Kids are getting hurt. Your kid is getting hurt. Other kids probably are getting hurt too. They're being dicks with your baby. That is one problem. The other problem is big kids not taking turns on the slide, big kids not taking turns on the swing, big kids not letting your child have her turn at what she wants to do. I think that those are two different problems with two very different solutions. With turn-taking, I think you got to just let that go. Like, there's no way that you can or should be policing every interaction that your daughter has on top of the slides or the swing. You can't be sitting there tallying up who's had how many turns on what. Your daughter gets upset in the moment, but in the end is probably not going to be like irreparably harmed by not getting that turn on the swing redirect your child to a different apparatus, maybe leave the playground for a while, maybe have a word with the kids about in general, like being nicer to the little kids. But I think that that is something that you just got to set aside. The larger question of safety on the playground as these kids are like running wild and knocking kids over is something that you can and should deal with. And this is a case where you have to get over your sense of being non-confrontational Yes, maybe you are non-confrontational with adults. Maybe you're non-confrontational in the workplace, but you are a grown-up. You have a great deal of authority, and this is the time to use it. It's not your job to grab the kid by the shirt. That's actionable. But it is time for you to employ your grown-up voice and tell these kids over and over again, if you have to, in no uncertain terms, to get off the little kid playground equipment and find something better to do to control their bodies around smaller children and stop hurting kids. It's extremely simple. And you're allowed as a member of this playground community to just tell them that, to say very clearly, you are hurting smaller children and you cannot be on this equipment if you don't stop doing that and you must leave. Part of living in a community is being willing to be the voice of authority when it is needed. And it is time for you. Yes. You pissed park mom, to live up to that obligation. But what do you guys think? Okay, well, (laughs) I think I'm much more hands-off than you are. (laughs) (laughs) So I like to think of the playground as like the testing ground for kids. Like I have my kids all day and I'm teaching them all this stuff like stand in line, we say please and thank you. And we do all this like in my lovely, beautiful homeschool environment where I control everything. Then I take them to the playground and I say go play. See how these things that I have taught you, you know, work in the real world. In the Hobbesian state of nature. Yeah, because in the real world, like adults don't always let you wait in line. Adults don't always control their bodies. Um, You don't always get to do the thing that you waited for. And I think this is a great, really low threat way to test out those things. I think you know, helps them figure out, are you going to just wait for this forever? Or are you going to go find something else? And I mean, I have watched my middle child, Oliver, is very quiet and very shy. And I have watched him wait an entire playground time for a piece of equipment. And when we leave, he will say, but I didn't do anything. (laughs) And I'm sort of like, well, that's the choice that you made. Because I think that we have to be empowered and empowered our children to take care of you know, some of these things. I agree with you, Dan, that there's kind of two different issues. And I think that this playground sounds crazy. And I'm just wondering if these kids are there like all the time. It seems to me like maybe can you go like is a half hour later or half hour earlier better for your, you know, park playground routine. But also if this is the community that you live in, these are the kind of things your child has to learn to deal with. And I, I do think like the exception is always safety. I was at the playground with everyone, um, all my kids, talking with another mom. My kids were off playing. I'm very hands-off at the playground. Uh, I feel sort of like I have them all day. I keep kind of a general eye on them, but unless safety is an issue. Anyway, this other child was approaching the playground with a branch, not even a stick, like a branch. And I just screamed across the playground, put down the branch, 
put down the branch like over and over again. And eventually several other parents joined me in the march towards this child because that (laughs) that branch would definitely as he heads towards like something that twirls really fast. You know, this is going to be a bad situation. But I actually want to come to defense of the big kids on the playground because I just think if you have big kids on the playground, I'm glad that they're on the playground climbing things and doing stuff because there's just not a lot of opportunity. I think, Dan, like you said, this, like, go be on the internet, go do these things that big kids do. But I think it's great if they're choosing to be outside. And maybe this means that, you know, your community playground needs some larger climbing structures, uh, needs some things for for bigger kids. Those do exist. There's those large spiderweb climbing things. But I really just think there's not a lot of other places for them to be. Now, if they're screaming at your baby in the stroller, that to me is like a hard line. And you should definitely do everything you can to prevent that from happening. And certainly like if they're running over your three-year-old. But I I also think you just have to kind of learn to be in this situation. Now, all this being said, the base gym has a area in which you can put your toddlers and you're working out right there. And I sometimes bring all three kids and Henry was on the iPad doing something and Teddy and Oliver were playing and this group of girls in there decided that somehow Oliver was the enemy and I sort of led him on the treadmill and watching it happen but they started pelting him with the toys from the toy stash <laughs> just like they wow. said this is war and they were throwing all the other moms are in there I just took off my headphones and I was like ladies we don't throw and that it ended I mean that just you used your grown up voice I used my Elizabeth. grown up voice but I think the point is I didn't use it when they told Oliver they couldn't play. And I didn't use it when they said, you know, these are all our toys. They had this whole stash of all the toys. I let him figure that out until the point at which he was getting hurt. So it sounds like we totally agree, except for that you think these 9 to 13-year-olds at the playground are getting a marvelous chance to play outside. And I think they're definitely troublemaking punks. But other than that, like it's all a matter of scale. Choose the level at which you're going to intervene, but don't consider yourself required to intervene at every level because you're definitely not. Yeah, I think the playground is a time for them to play, not for more kind of guided, you know, mom does this with you, dad does this with you. This is a time for them to kind of go out and try these things. Jamila, what do you think? Well, I'm going to say, fuck those kids. (laughs) First of all, a three-year-old is a baby. A baby. You kicked the baby stroller? Oh, couldn't be me. Couldn't be me. Don't get me wrong. Yes, I'm being hyperbolic, but I'm alluding to something that Dan mentioned. I've always felt a sense of responsibility for the children around me, right? Whether they were members of my community, as in my physical community, where I live or not. When I see kids and I see kids being out of order, I have a reaction to it. And I'm very invested in keeping them safe, right? I don't care about kids making noise on the bus or train unless they're putting themselves in some sort of danger or that, you know, they're really offending elders or something and using a lot of profanity and then maybe I'll say something. But otherwise, be loud, be messy. I don't care. But when you start putting yourselves in danger and most egregiously putting smaller children in danger, because like Dan said, like, hey, sometimes at the park, you got to wait for a slide. It is what it is. It's not always fair. It's the rules of the playground. These little people are getting themselves hurt and hurting a three-year-old. I'm sorry. Like, I'm going to be very confrontational in that moment. That doesn't mean that I won't be polite. But I think that you, Mama, need to get eye level with one of these little... There's so many words I want to say that I won't. These little hooligans. hooligans, These little 'er (laughs) ne'er-do-wells. And just get eye level and say... Do you realize that you kicked my daughter's stroller? I think you should apologize to her. And it's not a matter of cursing at them or yelling or doing anything, you know, inappropriate. Because whatever you say to someone else's kid, you better be prepared to say it to their parent, right? Or to be able to justify, like, why are you even talking to my kid? Well, your kid, you know, did a cartwheel over my baby's stroller and kicked her in the head with a size one, you know, Air Jordan. I don't know, like... (laughs) You need to confront these children when it happens. And you do need to continue to confront their parents. I don't care if, you know, they only offer a, oh, sorry, or, you know, hey, be careful before getting on the phone. Keep doing it. They need to be responsible for their kids on the playground. And when you see the other kids doing stuff that can get them hurt, you can say it doesn't have to just be about you going and telling on them when they're putting your child in danger. When you see, you know, two of them scuffling and and somebody's bleeding or something that doesn't look or feel 
feel right or something that's dangerous, speak up. In addition to that, I would just say I agree with my co-hosts that you should find another playground to go to since it sounds like this is the culture of that park. And if there are parents that are sitting around on cell phones watching it, that culture may not necessarily change because you've decided to disrupt it. But as long as you're going to be going there, you have to be responsible for helping to affect a culture change. And it is nice that they want to be outside and all, but I'd rather they be behind a computer somewhere or an iPad or watching Netflix or trying to sneak and look at something that they shouldn't than kicking three-year-olds in the stroller. Well, I agree that the stroller thing is so egregious to me. Like when I read this, I just thought, I've encountered a lot of things at a playground, but like a child screaming or kicking something in a stroller to me just seems over the top. And I'm sorry, point of correction, I apologize. The 11-month-old yeah, is in the stroller. Yeah. The three-year-old is running around. Oh, please. Please. It's... Girl. I agree. The baby thing is just like how... I, I, I'm a little confused about how that happens. <laughs> you know, even I would probably scream about that. I understand a three-year-old is... St- I have a three-year-old. And honestly, my three-year-old can stand up for himself at the playground better than my five-year-old. I don't disagree with you, Elizabeth, that a playground is a kind of put-lessons-into-practice place where kids do start to figure out, well, if there are bigger kids in a place where I want to be, sometimes I just got to suck it up and wait. And I love that about the playground. I'm very curious about this playground that this letter writer describes because it sounds absolutely unlike any American playground I've ever seen. I just like, I don't see kids that age on playgrounds. I definitely, when I do see kids that age on playgrounds, see them with younger siblings, usually playing peacefully with them. And I don't see playgrounds where parents aren't engaged with what's going on, where they like are on their phones, not paying any attention. What I usually see is the exact opposite with a very American style playground parenting, right? Which is parents all up in everything that their kids are doing and negotiating every single second, which is not what I, I think any of us are suggesting here. And it is definitely what Elizabeth is like trying to push back against. So I am very curious about like, how did this playground yeah tell us where this is yeah like (laughs) we're going there right how did it become like (laughs) circus maximus like a gladiatorial arena for children i'm very interested in the in the culture of this playground i don't know if you've observed this but sometimes like one bad kid doing this stuff makes the other kids wilder or think that that behavior Mm -hmm. is okay and i do find that like i say stepping in for safety but like this kid with the stick at our playground is one of those i have you know yelled at him from across the playground on several things. But once you sort of, you know, nip him, then things tend to kind of settle down. One other thing I'm curious about, because I can't think of a playground that I've seen and I've taught and worked in schools, and we certainly have a lot of playgrounds here in this beautiful place, Brooklyn, that I used to live. If kids were running around like that, their parents were not present. So you're saying that some of these parents are present for these interactions and they're just not really taking it very seriously. But I also wonder... Is this playground perhaps attached to an elementary school? Like, maybe Mm. this is their playground and your Mm. kids are just a little bit too young to be there. I mean, again, we've said, you know, why not a different playground? But specifically one that is populated largely by parents or babysitters, big siblings, nannies, and small children as opposed to 9- to 13-year-olds. Because if that's part of their daily go-to ritual at this point, they may tighten up when they see you like, oh, there's that one mom who's a bitch. Be careful, you know, because you've chastised them, as you should. But I think your kids would be happier surrounded by children that were smaller. Yeah, could you go there with more smaller kids? There's power in numbers even of smaller children. If there are a bunch of smaller children on the playground, the older children are less likely to want to be there. Or at the very least, it makes it less likely that the small kid they hurt will be yours. Yeah, true. Yeah. Play the play the game of odds. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it just becomes West Side Story, like Tots versus Hots or something, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a they're, they're lying in wait for these little kids. Tweens versus Tots, West Side Tweens Story versus too. Tots. I'll bring Teddy to this playground. He's rough. He bites. He's, you know, he can, he can handle his own. His own. Yeah, he, he can, can handle his own. Oh, Naima will definitely come in as the six, almost seven-year-old, I guess, stopgap between the two groups of people and want to be down with the cool kids, but also fuss at them for touching the little people. So maybe you need to find some... That's uh, what they need. Some I good will leadership. Say, when I was kids. little, 
I loved when big kids were at the playground. I mean, I'm sure they knocked me over and I cried sometimes, but big kids at the playground, I never got to play with big kids or just be around big kids. I love that shit. No, I was the opposite. I was scared of big kids. I was very shy. Like my mom would have to walk up to kids my age and be like, hi, this is Jamila. You know, you don't want to play together? Yeah, I was, I can't like, I was so shy and big kids were pretty scary. And I definitely had the mom who had to get on the school bus and fuss at the, the big kids for, you know, the way they treated me. So I can imagine that that probably happened at the playground a couple of times too. Okay, Pissed Park mom, good luck to you. Please follow up and let us know. One, if you could just let us know, we don't have to tell everyone the name of the park, but like... <laughs> We need info. Like, what's up with this park? Why is it like this? Um, number one. And number two, uh, we'd like to hear how things work out. And if you find another park to go to, or if we can even recommend another park. Thank you for writing to us. If you, fellow listeners, have a question that you'd like to hear read on Mom and Dad are Fighting, send us an email at slate.com. Okay, time for our second question. Again, read by the fabulous Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad, my husband and I are trying for our first kid. It's an exciting time, but no one is more excited than my mother. She is actively trying to move across town to be closer to us, saying she wants to quit her job and be very involved with our future child. While I appreciate her enthusiasm, there is something about her role as grandmother keeping me up at night. My mother is an alcoholic, and my childhood was anything but happy. She went through what she jokingly calls her middle-aged crazy, which involved a lot of drunken threats, car accidents, and an affair she forced me to hide from my father. Since then, she has stabilized and remarried, and our relationship is better in small doses. I'm not sure how to maintain our positive relationship moving forward, however, after watching her with my siblings' kids. She has very little patience with them. There's a ton of yelling, speaking through gritted teeth, spanking, and general irritation. She says she loves and cherishes them, but every interaction takes me back to my childhood, much of which was spent tiptoeing around her temper, especially when she was drunk. My husband and I are not yellers or spankers and work hard to keep healthy boundaries around alcohol consumption. How can we address the concerns we have with my mother without crushing her or alienating her from future grandchildren? Thanks. I feel like this is a great opportunity to talk about boundary setting because I think boundaries in relationships are really helpful and wanted. And I think she's searching for this boundary in which she can maintain this positive relationship and the grandmother can be a part of her child's life but also that she can kind of have, I think, some control over where and when and how that interaction occurs. I just want to say, yes, do all of that. That is reasonable and it is the right thing to do. And I think there are ways you can do that that maintain the relationship. I think, though, you don't really have to justify why you're setting boundaries or how to set these boundaries. But I think she needs to sit down and decide how much involvement they want her to have in the family under what conditions. You can't change who your mom is. You can't change anything she's done in the past or how she parents. You just don't have control over that. So instead, you can only control your own behavior. And I think you have to have kind of this very clear, dedicated, positive conversation that says, we're so excited to have this baby and have you in this baby's life. But here are the boundaries we want to set. And whether that's like, if you're drinking, we will be leaving. Uh, We won't be spanking our child. A lot of these things that she's concerned about, luckily, I think, arise like with a small baby are not as much of an issue. But that's a good time to set those boundaries, see how things take shape. She has her sister's kids as kind of a a model of how things are going to go. But I think you can also set your mom up for success because you want to maintain this positive relationship. And so you can limit your interactions to those that are more controlled. Just make sure that if the drinking is a problem, not being at things in which drinking is part of that. Also, don't leave the disciplining up to your mom if you feel like that is a potential point of conflict. So I just feel like there are a lot of ways once you've hammered out where those boundaries are. Elizabeth, you're absolutely right. The boundary setting should be the tactic and the plan. But it is crazy to me that her siblings' kids are getting yelled at, chastised, and spanked by their grandmother. And it just seems to me 
very likely that whatever the parents, those parents, her siblings, uh, you know, dreams are for those children and their relationship with their grandmother, surely it does not include that. And so my worry is, what do you do? This isn't necessarily the case, but what do you do if the siblings have already tried to set these boundaries, that they've already been crystal clear about how they don't believe in spanking, for example, and yet they have this grandmother who just still keeps spanking the kids. But how are you in a situation where that's happening? I haven't been in a situation where someone wants to discipline my child and I'm like there. So if, if this is such a huge deal, then your children can't be with your mother in a situation in which she would need to enact any kind of discipline. I also wonder, do her siblings have a different approach to discipline than she and her husband? Because I would imagine, like, if grandma's constantly spanking her grandchildren, one of two things is at hand. Either the parents involved are okay or unaware, which seems very unlikely that this person would write to us about it and hasn't had a conversation with her siblings about it. But also, um, it could be that maybe they feel reliance on her for childcare, and so they are taking this discipline that they don't appreciate, you know, style that may not be their own and just allowing for it because it's grandma and we need the help, or they spank their kids too. I have an example in that Jeff and I very much believe that our children's bodies are theirs to decide, like, who to give hugs to, if they give kisses, any of that. My in-laws expect that, like, when we are staying or when they're staying, that my children would give hugs and kisses before bed. And it just became this point of contention in that they felt that they were not getting, you know, the love from their grandchildren and the support from us because we never said, like, go hug your grandmother. And we just had to sit down and say sort of like our rule is that they have control of their bodies. Our rule is that we will never make them give hugs, give kisses. We do ask them if that's something they want to do. We definitely model that we are affectionate with Jeff's parents, but I'm not going to ask them to do that. And here's why. Now, I do have them be polite. They have to say goodnight. They have, you know, all those sort of things. Initially, they were sort of like, this is not how we did things. But over time, things have evened out. They understand why we do it this way. And they have developed their own little things with the children. And honestly, then the kids get to set those boundaries or decide to give a hug or decide to give a kiss or whatever. It feels, I think, better for everyone uh, because we we know the boundary that that came from. So the boundary setting is possible. It can be awkward, but I think it's definitely possible and you should definitely do it here. I agree with much of what both of you all have said is just you have to establish some boundaries with your mother. And I think you may want to consider speaking to a professional um, yourself, someone who has experience with um, people who I don't know if you would describe her as being in recovery or that she just, you know, has gotten a handle on her drinking as opposed to going sober. But um, you don't want to create a situation where you have a upset her to the point where she backslides and nor should you feel responsible for her continued sobriety or near sobriety. But I think that there's a lot more that needs to be said in addition to, you know, we don't spank. This is how I, you know, we ask that you engage with the kids. We don't yell. We don't do this. I think there's a lot of residual pain and trauma from your own childhood that I wonder it sounds like mom has maybe kind of waved it off, like, oh, those were my crazy drunken years. But have you all begun the healing process mm. in a really meaningful way? And not just, you know, she's doing better, so I'm trying to, you know, our relationship is better because she's more stable. But have you all talked through it and why it creates anxiety and why you're, you're triggered by seeing the way she interacts with her other grandchildren? I think that needs to be central to this conversation as well, not just a matter of I don't like the disciplinary styles that I've seen you model with my sister and brother's kids. So I'm going to ask that if I let my baby stay with you, that you don't spank. I think it also needs to be, this brings up some really bad memories that I'd like to leave in the past, especially as we're working to rebuild our relationship. I think that's really important. It's just like there are things in this letter that seem like enormous, like emotional red flags to me of major problems in the way that this letter writer was raised and the echoes of that childhood that she sees in the childhood of her nieces or nephews. And that 
that just to me is like a klaxon bell going off, making me feel very, very nervous about this situation. And I mm-hmm. think going into it and being clear about that, going into it and trying to set her up for success, as Elizabeth says, is important. But I also think it is worth it to like steal yourself for the possibility that this won't be navigable, that mm-hmm. your mother is going to keep repeating these kinds of behaviors with your kid, no matter what kinds of boundaries you set up. And you're, you're going to have to make a decision and you might want to prepare yourself ahead of time for what that decision is going to be about how you would respond if she's not taking those boundaries seriously, if she's not taking you seriously, if she's behaving towards your children in a way that continues to make you feel like you're living your childhood all over again, because it's not inconceivable at all to me that that happens. And I think you have to at least a little bit prepare for that possibility. Don't assume it, you know, give your mother every chance to succeed in the ways that Elizabeth and Jamila are suggesting. But I don't think that you can ignore that possibility. And I think you have to prepare for it in some way. Dan, I totally agree. I think to me that setting those clear boundaries and that's having a conversation with your partner about what those boundaries are and knowing what you're going to do when they're broken. To me, the whole point of boundaries is that you know where that line is and you know what you're going to do and that you're consistent about that. Mm -hmm. Because I think the only way really that you can affect change or hope to affect change in someone else's behavior is for your response to be consistent on your boundary. And then they will have to reflect on if they like that or not like that. Right. So if, if the spanking is a problem, again, don't put the mom in a position in which she is the disciplinarian. And and if that's your boundary, like I understand that maybe you're going to count on her for childcare, but if this is what's happening, that maybe that's just not an option. Right. Same thing, if the drinking starts to be a problem, you can just, I mean, not just say, I think these are, you know, intense conversations, but if you're drinking at an event where our children is, we will leave. But then you have to leave. Boundaries, 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 letter writer. Wishing you all the best on your journey to pregnancy and parenthood, as well as your continued journey toward peace with your mother. Please send us an update. We are rooting for you. If you, again, are interested in having a letter of your own read by uh, Shasha Leonard and skewered by the host of Mom and Dad Are Fighting, please send us an email to slate.com. And now let's move on to our final question. Bonus uh, question. Bonus question. Dear Mom and Dad Are Fighting, around the time my twins turned one, my parents let me know that they had opened a 529 savings plan in each twin's name, and plan to max out the yearly taxable contribution for every year from this point until college time. Now, let me stress that I am extremely grateful for this gesture, and was speechless for a long time after receiving the news, but I am also very uncomfortable with taking such a generous gift. I asked my husband, can we take this, and should we take this? 2000 per year is going to compound nicely when we're talking about 16 years or more before those college tuition bills start to come in, bills our current single income doesn't allow us to save for. But why should that fall to my parents to support that burden, just because they can? Whose job is it to save for college anyway? My husband's response was, at the end of the day, our children will benefit. Why does it matter where the money comes from? I'm just not sure. I think self-sufficiency is important. I want my kids to know that. I want my own relationship between my grown self and my parents to reflect that as well. I wonder, is it wrong to have this fierce desire to provide for your own kids and then feel some inadequacy at the suggestion that you need the leg up? Thanks. Take Take the the money. money. Like. Come on. Are you serious? Well, give it to my kid then. I'll DM you my info and then my daughter can have... I'm sorry, her stepmother actually started her really great college fund. See, it's okay to let somebody else do it. Because I know I'm going to be rich one day, but right now I ain't got it. Just going to share your routing number and bank account information with the Please. slave But But I, I just... I don't know. I think there's something else here that you're not saying in relationship to your relationship with your parents. Like, right. I wonder... If you have a history of either being irresponsible or treated as if you were irresponsible, perhaps you were an irresponsible teenager who's become an incredibly responsible and financially self-sufficient adult, you feel like they're treating you like the teenager. 
college costs so much money. It's okay to have more money than you need for college. This does not stop you from setting up your own college fund. It doesn't stop you from encouraging your kids to get scholarships. This will only make the journey easier. Look, the one thing that this letter doesn't explain is what kinds of strings come attached to this money, right? Which can often be the case. If there are strings, that is what should drive this decision, not some kind of like abstruse philosophical dilemma about whose job it is to provide for your kids. It's everyone's job to provide for your kids. It's stranger on the streets job to provide for your kids. Certainly it is within the purview of your parents to try to help your children, their grandchildren, however they want to do so. So look, if taking this money will like make the next 18 years awful because your parents will be dicks about it, or they'll feel they have the right to boss you or your kids around then consider turning it down. But short of that, take the money. I agree. There's so much out there that talks about how college debt, um, graduating with that, like the weight that that puts on your future, that I think any opportunity to not give that to your kids. Like, I just think you wouldn't turn down baby clothes or a bassinet or something, right? Or something you really needed for a baby. In a lot of ways, this is that times, you know, a lot. But I think you take it and be thankful Again, I wondered about strings attached. I know often I pay for things given my family gives to me, like in shame and guilt. But, you know, small price to pay. Right. I mean, I we can do some shame and guilt for college tuition. Exactly. My father loves saying. to remind me of the portion of my tuition that he paid. And that's fine because it was paid and I needed it. I didn't have it. So I'm glad that he did it. And letter writer, you mentioned here that they're able to invest more on a regular basis than you are. So are you like me? Are you just like very certain that your glow up is coming and you're going to have a bunch of money before your kid comes to college? Or are you just saying that you'd rather them not have it because you feel like it's your responsibility to do it? And even though you can't technically do it or you may be reliant to take out a bunch of loans, which can be devastating for your entire household. Right. Because there's the loans in the kid's name. There's also the loans that you can put in your name. If you have to take out those kinds of loans, that's not really ideal. And I can't imagine that you won't look back on this moment in regret if you don't take this money. Unless, you know, the big caveat being if the strings attached to this are truly choking strings. Right. But if it's simply remember when I paid your kids to go to college because you couldn't. If that's all it is, then, yep, I remember I think, I think this it. was basically the plot to Gilmore Girls, right? Like yes, the, you're the... absolutely right. This letter could have been signed, <laughs> Lorelai Gilmore. <laughs> Wish you all the best and good luck with the money. And we hope you take the money and please take the money. All right. Um, before we get out of here, we're going to do recommendations. Elizabeth, what do you have this week? Sure. Okay. This is inspired by we've had a ton of rain here. And then, of course, the deployment scare meant we were like in the house all the time. And my friends in Colorado Springs are facing like their eighth snow day or something crazy. So we have at home a Swedish wall gym for the children. It actually mounts to the wall. It's it's rather uh, slim, but it has like swings and rings and they call it a nest, which is like a little place for them to climb and sit and a rope ladder. And it's made out of like stronger material than Ikea furniture it mounts to the wall. But it's you know, eight feet tall, three feet wide, fits in the kid's bedroom, actually. But it is amazing when we are stuck inside for whatever reason. My kids have a lot of energy. This is a great way for them to get all their energy out, especially when you're thinking like, well, where do I go on a rainy day? How? Do, where do I go? You know, when it's snowing, when we're stuck inside, uh, you can come to my house because we have this thing. The kids all play on it. It's just awesome. We really, really love it. They're sold on Amazon. They have ones that are pressure mounted. The first one we ever saw was in um, an American's home in Germany, and they had this huge pressure mounted one in their attic. We found something a little slimmer. My kid's school in the Netherlands also had them. It's just awesome. The only disadvantage is that my three-year-old likes to hide naked in the nest on the top when it's time for bed, uh, which makes me climb up there and get him. But small price to pay for them being worn out at the end of the day. So when the big kids from the neighborhood come over and don't let your kids ever get on and have their turn, you're just going to be like, well, kids, that's just the way it goes. I told you my my three-year-old bites. It's not a problem. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Today I'm recommending a comic book. 
Uh, it's a long-running comic book uh, that I have loved for years, but a, a great collection of this comic book just came out. It's called Street Angel. It's by a Pittsburgh cartoonist named Jim Rugg, and it is the heartwarming story of uh, Jesse Sanchez, the deadliest girl alive, a homeless ninja on a skateboard. She fights ninjas, drugs, nepotism, and pre-algebra as Street Angel. It is a uh, totally insane, extremely violent, very funny, extremely silly action comic starring a teenage girl who has broadswords and a skateboard and throwing stars. And I think it would be just great for basically any 13-year-old of any stripe. It's violent, but not horribly violent it's like cartoonishly violent it's less violent than a roadrunner cartoon but way funnier uh, i really love this comic i also just as like an art object it's one of the best drawn and most creatively created comics around i just love the way it looks and the the way that uh, it reads so it's also good for adults but for a 13 year old who likes a little violence with their morning cereal the collection is street angel deadliest girl alive and it's out now Bring copies of that to the playground. Absolutely. Give it to the kids and be like, what are you doing pushing around three-year-olds? You could be fighting ninjas. <laughs> hey, losers. You want to learn how to fight ninjas instead of fighting 11-month-olds? And That's stroller? right. I think, I think we're on to something here. Jamila, what are you recommending? I bought a journal for Naima. And I think I mentioned before we have a journal where we share notes back and forth. Um, like if we have things that we need to say to each other and don't feel comfortable saying them face to face, you know, that she can write it in the journal. I can write it in the journal. But I bought a little journal for her uh, the other day that I'm going to keep with me when I travel because I am on the road a bit. Um, and I'm going to write notes to her in that journal. And I've also asked friends and folks that I meet on my travels that are interested to write her notes as well. So I feel like I've created a new way to bring her along with me on my trips that sometimes can bum her out a bit. So yesterday I got to spend some time with a friend of our family named Julie, who's a very sweet older woman who Naima got to know this summer. And she wrote her a little love note and I wrote her a love note. And I'm going to share it with a couple more people before I head back to California. And I'm going to do that every time I get on the road. So that is my recommendation for parents who are often separated from your children, take a little journal, cost me four or five bucks. It was cute. It had her initial on it. Keep it with you and some colorful pens and write notes to your kid while you're missing them and let other people write them notes as well. That is an adorable idea. I hope that you continue doing it and it doesn't end up like every similar project from when we had kids your kid's age where we did it for a month and then we stopped. I mean, so it's like we find these journals around the house now, and they're like amazing time capsules of exactly two and a half weeks <laughs> in our children's lives. Jamila, I'm going to be your accountability coach for this because I am not a project dropper. Okay, <laughs> so, I, I could certainly use that because I want to so be accountable gonna, to this one. I, also, I think this is awesome. I think this is so cool and such a great keepsake, and I I know you can do it. Thank you. I mean, you, you. you can definitely do it. You'll absolutely do it. Great job. You'll I'm do totally going to do it. And Dan, stop being I'll such a downer. <laughs> I bought, it's not a, there's not a lot of pages, right? So there's like maybe what, 50 pages on this one? So, or it's a hundred. Okay, whatever. But like, it's wide ruled. I, we can get through this. We I love that expectation management. You know, I think that's the key to happiness. So yes. I, you have, you have bought a journal that is appropriately sized. Yes. Thank you. I'm going to walk through the slate office and make the strangers who don't always want to let me in uh, sign it, perhaps. <laughs> I was like, who's that lady? At the door? What's she doing? Fill it all out this week. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Here I am. Here's 100 pages. Read them. 100, right. Read them now. I was don't gone for three now. days. That's <laughs> right. All of these people asked about you. And that is our show, folks. Thank you for listening. If you have a question that you'd like to ask us on air, you can leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or shoot us an email at slate.com. And don't forget to join us, mostly Dan, on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting. And Elizabeth. Elizabeth's very active on Slate Parenting. Are you active on the... Okay, I'm coming back. <laughs> One bad experience. I said, oh, that's enough no, of my brown sugar. No, most of the sugar. people are great. Come back and join us. Okay, I'm coming back. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. For Dan Qua and Elizabeth Newcamp, I'm Jamila Lemieux. <laughs>